It's a scene we've seen countless times in the movies and on television. A woman is walking down the street and is catcalled by a group of men working on a nearby construction site. It's typically portrayed as a laughing matter, but that kind of behavior is rooted in a much more serious issue. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Today, we're taking an up-close look at the issue of street harassment. It's a matter that primarily affects women, but also extends to other demographics. With us in the studio this morning are members of organizations that work to help combat street harassment. First up is Debjani Roy. She's been an advocate working to end gender-based violence for more than a decade. She's currently the deputy director of the anti-street harassment organization Hollaback. Debjani, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Brittany Brathwaite is a community organizer with Girls for Gender Equity, a Brooklyn-based grassroots organization that's committed to the physical, psychological, social, and economic development of girls and women. Brittany, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And Joe Samelin is with us. Joe is outreach manager for the Disaster Distress Helpline, the only 24-7 national hotline providing year-round disaster crisis counseling. Joe has been working on issues of gender-based violence for over 15 years with organizations such as Day One, Steps to End Family Violence, Men Can Stop Rape, Safe Horizon, and others, including currently being a blogger for Stop Street Harassment. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So let's begin with the definition. Debjani, how do you define street harassment? Well, we define it as non-contact, unwanted sexual or advances of a sexual nature, and it could include acts that sit on a spectrum of behaviors. It could start with things like verbal harassment, leering, catcalling, whistling, lip smacking, but can escalate into things like following and then into things like groping, touching, grabbing, um, and to things like public masturbation as well. Joe and Brittany, do you share that definition or do you have a different definition of street harassment, Brittany? No, we definitely do at Girls for Gender Equity. A lot of our work has focused on how this is uh, contained in schools and how street harassment almost is like a microcosm working in schools. So street- how so? So young people will tell us that our research, we did research a few years ago, um, and it's in our book, Hey Shorty, about how young people are harassed in the hallways. And as school, as being a public place or a place that young people attend on a daily basis, they are harassed in hallways, they are harassed in locker rooms. Uh, certain classroom areas where a teacher or a powerful person is not present, they are harassed, but it is something that is very prevalent in our school climate and school culture. So I would imagine that if you can help control it in the schools, you'll help to control it on the streets. Yes. Joe? Yeah, no, I agree with what what everyone said so far. I think the only piece for me that that is kind of a more nuanced piece in terms of, of talking about street harassment is that Sometimes we can fall into talking about it as a part of rape culture or the things in society or culture or a community that can lead to more serious acts of physical violence like a domestic violence, a sexual assault, etc. Because it says that basically men can say and do whatever they want around women in general and or sexually. And I think it's also very important to acknowledge um, as as definitely the folks here do that it's also a violent act in and of itself and it's a piece of power and control in and of itself that stops people from going to school that stops people from feeling safe on their block in their neighborhood when they go for a jog trying to go to work enjoy the day wear what they want etc that not only is it a piece of the bigger picture of gender-based violence or what's very often men's violence against women but it also is in and of itself a really serious and 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 i would say violent act um, even if it doesn't get physically violent that can, that can and does have a very serious effect on women and girls day in and day out in New York City and elsewhere. 
Joe, how did you get involved in the effort to combat street harassment? I've been doing work around men's violence against women, and, and my kind of main focus and passion is around helping communities engage men and boys and preventing this stuff before it happens. And so I've worked a lot on teen dating violence, domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual violence, etc. And I think in my experience of it the last five, six, seven years, that it really has taken street harassment specifically, and these types of violence in public spaces have taken a real... Uh, there's been more of a focus on it, both nationally and internationally. And I think, you know, in the work I've been doing for 15 years, it was always an issue and a topic and a discussion. But now that there's more and more discussion around it and it's got more of a focus itself, um, I've become interested in really continuing the conversation with men around prevention of it in a community. And so it just was a natural fit and, and part of the work that I, I've been doing overall. You produced a video, right, utilizing men's voices to speak out against street harassment. Yeah, it was a lucky time in between two jobs. Had no work for about three, four weeks, and and um, it was timed right up with uh, Stop Street Harassment's International Anti-Street Harassment Week. I had uh, no job. I had about 60 bucks and uh, got together with a few close friends, um, Araya Reed from uh, Right Rides, a great organization here in New York City, Vix Gabriel from Take Two Services, Fiverr Rothberg, the, the kind of leadership team that created the video. And we said, what can we do that's easy and simple? And right around that time, there was a, a young African-American comedian who made a really, really popular YouTube video, and we decided a lot of people were using that format. We said, let's use that format very specifically to give men and boys one and a half minutes, two and a half minutes of concrete things that they can do when they see this happen around them, whether it's their friend doing it or someone they don't know. And I knew before we put the video on YouTube that it was going to go viral, not because we were all so brilliant, although it's a great video, we're really proud of it. But the reason that it's, you know, hit BuzzFeed and it's got, you know, close to half a million views internationally and other countries have taken and made their own versions of it um, from Egypt to northern Azerbaijan is because no guys are talking about this issue yet. We have a lot more guys than ever before talking about violence against women and girls and homophobic violence, et cetera, in general these days, but not about street harassment yet. And there's a need for it. We can't see the video on radio, but we can hear the video. So let's do that right now. I don't care how she's dressed. It's not okay. I don't care how she's walking. It's not okay. Are you serious? Come on, that's embarrassing, man. I can't take you anywhere. It's street harassment. It's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. It's street harassment. Please stop. Sweetheart, please stop perpetuating the patriarchal dividend. It's so over. Come on, you can't be calling stuff out in the street like that. Suelta eso. Please stop. Come on, please stop. Stop, please. Por favor, para. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Stop. Please stop. Esa puede ser tu hermana, ¿me entiendes? Come on. Right now? You're gonna do this right now. Really original. You never heard of eHarmony? You know, there's such a thing called J-Date. You could try it out. It's called street harassment, and you could get in trouble for that. I'm saying. Has that ever really worked for you? Does that really work for you? I don't care if you think she's hot. It's not okay. Misogyny. Super sexy. Don't do that in front of me. You don't do it at all. Bro, you're giving Dominican men a bad name. Yo, you're giving the Bronx a bad name. Come on, son. You're giving Queens a bad name. You're really giving white guys a bad name. You're also giving black guys a bad name. You're giving us all a pretty bad name. 
work. Do you have any idea how many women and girls are harassed every day? It's not funny. I don't care if everyone does it. It's not okay. It's disrespectful. It's not all right. It's not okay. It's not okay. Knock it off. It's called street harassment, and it's not acceptable. Deb Johnny, how important is it to have that male voice represented in the fight against street harassment? Oh, it's absolutely important. Um, one of our main objectives as an organization at Hollaback is that we want um, communities to get involved. And you can't just have like all the women getting involved and you have to have everyone involved. And we don't want to rely on um, you know reporting systems and legal uh, systems and all those other systems. We want people to feel that they have a role to play in creating safer spaces for everyone and that it is a lifestyle or a quality of life issue and it is a um, quality of city issue. Um, so yeah, we definitely think that the role of men is absolutely crucial. Um, our founding co-founders include three men, uh, seven people in total, four women and three men, and they were involved from the beginning and they're still involved to this day, some of them. Um, and it's not something that can be resolved with just half the population. Brittany, sometimes when you bring these types of issues to young people, you get chuckles, I would imagine, because these are uncomfortable things to sort of talk about. Do you find that a lot when you work with young people to get them to see the seriousness of something like this? Well, I think that it's good to acknowledge that street harassment in many ways has been normalized, right? Even sometimes calling it catcalling takes away from the notion that this is like actual violence, right? This is an actual serious thing happening. And so when you say street harassment, they're like harassment because then it puts a more serious tone to it. And young, we have engaged young people in this conversation multiple times. So for example, we held a youth summit last year on street harassment, and there was a space given for young people to come together, both uh, young women and young men, to talk about what street harassment looks like. And we did a symptom tree, which we looked at, like, what are the root causes of this? What does this look and how does this come out? There was one important story that was shared by a young man who said, like, I just learned to do that. Like, me and my friends do it all the time on the corner. But it wasn't until I saw I was walking with my sister one day and she was walking a couple of feet ahead of me and every time we passed a corner I would hear someone try to holler at her or be like hey ma what's up he said that he felt really powerless in that moment because there was nothing he could do and they didn't even acknowledge her as you know a person just trying to walk down the street and then he thought about himself so he did some self-reflecting like oh wait that's what I do right and then he thought about well what could I do in that moment to help you know my sister but at the same time the fact that this will happen over and over again even if he's not present. And so that was very powerful for him to share that story. And we saw many of the young men in that space agreeing with him. And for the first one of the first moments in their lives, actually reflecting what this did to their sisters, what this did to their mothers, how this really impacted them. Um, and another event we were able to hold was Bring Your Brother Day. So our young women who are organizers with the Sister and Strength organizers, they brought their brothers to have a conversation. And it was a space where they got to reimagine what it was like to hold public space, to engage in public space with young women for the first time what does that look like how do you have a conversation with someone without being like hey can I get your number right not a name not how are you because that's what they like a lot of defense is like I just want to know how you were doing today but no you start with a number young women are not numbers and that was very critical for us to like see that happening and young people for the first time not to just hear about it or know your rights workshop but actually engage in conversation about what this looks like for you and so it was really serious. It was, the, you know, there are a couple of chuckles because you feel uncomfortable, but a lot of that is very important, too, to have that space where you're allowed to feel uncomfortable. Devjani, are people affected by street harassment mostly 
younger or does it affect all age brackets? I think it affects all age brackets, but I do think it's one of the first experiences people have of any form of violence. Um, so it does start quite young. We have people sharing stories on our blog as young as eight years old, seven, wow. eight, eight years, years old. Wow. Very young on their way to school, um, you know, walking to school and having someone in the car creeping along aside them or following them or making comments. I worked with um, a couple of women in high school a couple weeks ago who were telling me that when they get home every day, they check in with each other to make sure they got home safe. So it affects people at a young age. It's usually the first time they experience it, but it continues on later in life as well. As people are going to and from work, it actually does affect a person's ability to focus and concentrate on work if they have to worry about how they're going to get home later on that night. Or it can affect people in terms of their plans for the weekend or in the evenings. Like, should I go out at a certain hour? Should I um, go home alone? Should I get a cab? Should I, like, there's so many things we have to think about, like in terms of what we're going to wear or um, what route we're going to take and if we should take public transport and if we should be with someone. So it affects um, a lot of age ranges, but it um, affects every aspect of like what decisions we're making when we go out and when we go to school and to work. How often do women blame themselves? You mentioned thoughts about what will I wear? What should I wear? Is there a lot of self-blame in there? Well, maybe I shouldn't have been wearing that outfit. Um, I think we're living in a climate for so long where that is the common narrative where people from like externally are asking are telling us that that's the message we're getting from the media from even you know families and friends um i i often refer back to my community this is um an idea that's inherited over generations like the messages i got from my mother she inherited from her mother and you know on and on and on that if this is happening to you if you're getting this unwanted attention then that your job is to cover up or not come home late, or take a cab, or so that's the message we've been given a lot of us growing up. And it takes, um, you know, one person to say no, not anymore. I'm not going to continue passing on this message. So that's definitely um, the problem. I think uh, it's a great point, and I agree with that. And I think all of us probably across the board, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, and sexual violence in a broader sense, and street harassment more specifically, see that in terms of. For me, the way I like to talk about it is narrowing down and really defining the difference between kind of prevention or primary prevention and risk reduction. When we talk about all the stuff that most people get, college students get, people get, the media says, et cetera, about watch how you dress, watch how you drink, watch where you walk, don't walk unlit, have your keys in your hand, always wear heels so you can use it as a weapon, never wear heels because you can't run in them, et cetera, et cetera. And all these, a lot of them problematic and maybe not so true pieces of what are actually risk reduction. It's something that we can do to maybe individually, women and girls especially, but but anyone at potential risk for some kind of violence can do to help kind of keep ourselves as safe as possible. And yes, we're all responsible to keep ourselves and hopefully each other as safe as possible in life. That said, that's not prevention. That's not preventing it from happening in the first place. And the problem is that we as a society as a whole, we as law enforcement, we as colleges and universities very often pitch risk reduction, self-defense classes, etc. as prevention. That's a problem. We know that that difference between, for me personally, that difference and really dialing down on the nuance of the difference between risk reduction and primary prevention becomes really important in trying to address this issue overall. Have you talked with men, Joe, who simply feel that this kind of behavior is innocent? They don't mean anything by it, kind of as Brittany was saying. Yeah, all the time, <laughs> uh, personally and professionally. Um, so for me, the way I like to say it personally is, you know, most men don't commit overt acts of, of violence against women and girls. Most men choose not to commit these types of acts. That said, 
street harassment happens to the overwhelming majority of women and girls that I know in my life, and most studies and research that are coming out now show that that, that's true as well. Um, uh, The majority of men that I engage are men who don't necessarily engage in these acts, who wouldn't commit overt street harassment in terms of kind of threatening or sexually graphic, et cetera, but might start up a conversation and talk to someone and do maybe intend it as complimentary. The conversations we have to have then are what what do you feel as a conversation? What do you feel gives you that right in a public space to go and talk to someone and start a conversation, et cetera? If they say no thank you, either verbally or non-verbally, what's your reaction there, right? Because that's one quick way you can get through kind of the BS of, oh, I meant it as a compliment. If the target of your compliment doesn't respond the way you want or at all, how are you going to react to that? Because if it really was a nice compliment and, hey, you know, you have a pretty smile, let's see it more or something along those lines or hope you have a nice day or a nice dress or what book are you reading and you react harshly, then there's something else going on there. So I think the question is for a lot of guys is really um, why do we stay silent about it? The majority of guys who don't commit street harassment to really examine ourselves and each other about why can't we say, hey, you know, what you're doing right there to everyone that passes by is making me feel uncomfortable Can we talk about that for a second, right, and engage in that deeper conversation about is it a compliment or not? The short answer is no, it's not, because the impact outweighs the intent of how you meant it. And that's what it's hard for guys in public spaces to really understand that impact over intent piece. You're listening to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Bodarki. Today, we're taking a close look at the issue of street harassment, an issue advocates say has become an unfortunate way of life for a lot of people in New York City and must be stopped. With us this morning are Deb Johnny Roy, Brittany Brathwaite, and Joe Samelin, all who are with organizations that work to educate about and prevent street harassment. Deb Johnny, what does the law say when it comes to street harassment? Is it a punishable offense? I think um, if you look at the spectrum of street harassment, and I'm not a legal expert, but if you look at things like um, public indecent exposure and um, groping, grabbing, those sorts of things, like, sure, they are um, considered crimes, but what happens when you report is a whole other story. First of all, like, we don't think that you, that's something you must do, that you must actually report when something like that happens. I was recently in a situation where someone was publicly exposing themselves to me on a pretty empty subway train, and I had a woman give me so much grief about not going to the police. Why didn't you go to the police? Yeah, it's a good question. At that time, my what I needed was to share my story. I actually was able to take a photograph of him. I wanted to t- share my story. I wanted to upload the photo. I did that on the Hollaback site. I shared it on my Facebook page. And what was important to me at that time was to get support from my community and from other and to have a space to share my frustrations, to have experienced this sort of thing on my way to work. Um, Because it was pretty traumatic, actually. It was empty, um, the train, and he didn't, he seemed very agitated and I didn't know what was going to happen next. So that was, it was pretty scary. But I didn't feel comfortable going to the police. I didn't think that was what I needed necessarily. Um, And people might say, well, he might be out there doing this to other people. Um, And I, I said, well, Maybe the next person might decide to report it. I don't know. But then just the way in which that happens is also questionable. Like, I'm not really sure what would actually happen if someone reported. It's not a system that we can completely rely on. That's why we believe in community accountability. I was going to ask the question, how serious do you think police take the reporting of these kinds of incidents? Yeah, um, well, 
Our founding story is that in 2005, a woman by the name of Tao Nguyen was riding the New York City subway, and this guy um, started masturbating in front of her on the subway. And she thought she'd take a picture of him and take it to the police. But when she did that, they said, there's nothing we can do about it. So she uploaded her picture onto Flickr and her story onto Flickr, and it went viral. Um, and so that started the conversation. That started to create awareness and a greater conversation amongst community members and individuals, uh, and naming this as a problem. It wasn't uh, like she could resolve this matter by going to the police, like what would that do for her necessarily? Not not much. She thought her sharing the story was going to have more of an impact than anything else, and um, and it did. It started hollow back. So you're really relying on the internet and mobile applications to help shed light on this issue. Absolutely, we're working at the intersection of so, um, social justice and technology, and we feel um, having an app. And we're organized in 79 locations around the world, so um, anyone can download the app for free who has an iPod, um, sorry, an iPhone or um, an Android, and they can. Uh, report their story to us in a blogging platform in real time where they can actually share their real feelings about what happened rather than having to fill out any forms or anything like that. They can actually have a platform to say the things that they wish they had said and to also seek out and find community online to see that other people have experienced this. This is what other stories look like. They're not alone. This is not an isolated experience. This is actually a systematic greater global problem. What are the psychological impacts of being harassed on the street or in the subway? I mean, really, how did you feel when that happened to you? I think through the story collecting or gathering, we're still learning about what that feels like. We could all say on an individual level what it feels like. Um, You feel ashamed. You might feel anxious. It can lead to depression and just general anxiety about moving in public spaces, about getting to work or going to school. We did a study with Cornell University where they took 223 stories from our website and did a content analysis. And they did find that the common feelings were shame fear, anxiety. So it definitely does have a lot of psychological impacts. And it also um, contributes to a sense of um, internalized misogyny or um, self-loathing of your body or um, self-consciousness. And it really shapes how we feel about ourselves as women and girls um, as we get older. Brittany, what do you hear from the girls that you work with? It's twofold, right? So it's normalizing the fact that it's like something that you expect Every day, right? So it's like it almost becomes a part of like wake up, brush your teeth, get dressed, go to school, get harassed by this boy in that corner, that person in that corner, get on the train, go to school. So psychologically, even having like on a developmental level, right, even having to this is a part of your everyday life. Uh, I think a lot of our young women get very frustrated. They go vent, uh, as Deb Johnny was saying, they go vent to their friends when they get to school and then they go on about their business. It's to the point where it's like if I spend 30 minutes a day thinking about, you know, what being harassed at this point, where would I get any work done, right? How would I? And it does affect young people in school. And sometimes we're doing work now to see how gender-based violence affects young people and pushes them out of school where they don't feel supported or if they can't tell their story to anybody or report to their Title IX coordinator, which is something that most people don't even know they have, it's a person that you can report sexual harassment in schools from. But we don't know collectively. Again, it's an individual experience. Everyone experiences it differently, depending on whether or not you've had trauma in the past. So if you've experienced sexual violence, that may be heightened if you exp- if you experience street harassment on a daily basis. Holding everyone's experiences individual, but also collective, that this is a harmful thing, but not knowing like how this impacts everyone. It has become a very normalized thing. Who do you encourage the young women you work with to talk to about it? Do you encourage them to report it to the police? 
if it's an egregious matter, we do want to talk to them about what it means for them to report to the police. And I think we have to think about the intersections of gender, race, class, and how people move through the world. And so if you think about young people um, that may be black or brown reporting street harassment to a police officer, what what do they have to think about when they approach a police officer? Are they not only going to take them serious or going to find something wrong with them coming to them? So if young people don't see police officers as safe people that serve and protect them, they're not going to report that to a police officer. Also thinking about the fact that this is like this is their brother, this is their cousin, right? What does that mean to get to have your brother or cousin put in handcuffs for saying, hey, shorty? Not to say that it's not a serious issue, but at the same time, is it going to change the climate of sexual harassment or street harassment on your corner we take time to have real serious conversations with our young people about the intersections of these things and the ways that we can hold communities accountable and we can solve our own issues without having to bring in law enforcement who may not do anything about it to begin with one area that we haven't yet talked about is how street harassment specifically affects the lgbtq community and i know this is a big issue dip johnny how does it affect the lgbtq community I think harassment and, of course, like we, you know, lump LGBTQ altogether into one category, but it definitely um, looks very different. I feel like there is often no mistaking that it is a compliment. Um, It often is homophobic remarks or hateful remarks, or if you're like non-gender conforming, it's remarks about your attire, your gender presentation. And it could be obviously very, very um, intrusive and very threatening and I think there is even more a fear of a uh, greater fear of escalation there in the last couple of years. There have been a lot of very homicides that have taken place here in New York City, um, targeting trans women of color. Um, a woman by the name of Islan Nettles was murdered um, in Harlem, in West Harlem, because the guy who started um, harass what well, he didn't see it as harassing. He was trying to pick her up. And then once he realized that she was trans, he viciously attacked her and she was in a coma and then she ended up passing away. So the risks are um, much greater. At Hollaback, we're trying to raise the issue that it the it looks different, um, and it's important to collect more stories and understand what it looks like and what it feels like for those who belong to the LGBT, LGBTQ community. What research has been conducted on this issue to determine just how prevalent a problem street harassment is actually in New York City? Has there been that kind of study? There's not a lot of research that's been done. Uh, We did a content analysis with Cornell that I referred to earlier. Um, We belong to a collective called New York NYFST, New Yorkers for Safe Transit. And um, we did a survey of uh, a thousand individuals and we found, and this is harassment on public transport, so the trains and the bus system here in New York City, and we found that 55% um, of out of a thousand experienced violence and or harassment in the transit system and 71% witnessed violence and or harassment um, as well. Um, and then we did a sort of analysis of the demographics of those who experienced this harassment and 72% of those who experienced violence felt targeted because of identity perception. Um, 83% of that was based on gender, 40% was based on race, 35 on age and 25 on sexual orientation. Um, we do have an, the app that we uh, released uh, a, a year ago 
has the option of reporting to your local council member in order to collect more data on like who it's affecting, where it's happening, because we map this stuff as well, um, and getting a little bit more information on numbers, but we haven't yet looked at that. So that's that's waiting to happen. So at this point, you don't know whether there are any areas of the city that are more prone to this problem? We do. Based do. on um, our blog, we found that Times Square, Soho, and Wall Street were the top three areas. Why do you think that is? It's based on density. So the more people there are, the more likely it is to happen, especially in a culture where this is the norm. Um, so those are the top three areas that we found through the mapping. Let's end with one piece of advice from each of you, a piece of advice for someone who may fall victim to street harassment. So, Devjani, let's start with you. I think the most important thing is to know that you're not alone, and if you're not okay with it, um, that's what most people feel. And we also want to say something on bystander intervention very quickly, that if you see it happening, there are so many things you can do. Just checking in with the person afterwards to make sure they're okay decreases their trauma significantly, and that makes them also feel like they're, they are not alone. Joe? I have to flip that and talk to everybody else, not the targets of it, and, and say, especially engaging men and boys, think about the issue, learn about the issue, talk to people about the issue, check out StopStreetHarassment.org for a lot of ways that men can get engaged in prevention, reduction, intervention, support of folks who are targets of street harassment. Um, and really think, uh, I'd say to guys who are listening, think about why it's an issue for you. Really think about how it affects us as men. Brittany? I would tell the survivor of this that, you know, you are not alone. You, as Devjani said, that there is a place or a space that you can find, whether it's a friend, a teacher. We, you know, we working in schools is look to someone there, the most immediate person that you can find and trust uh, and tell them about it, that this is not nor like this. We cannot normalize this. Right. This is not supposed to be as simple as brushing your teeth. It's not supposed to be a part of your day. I can't say that enough. Brittany, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Joe, thank you. Thank you very much. Deb Johnny, thank you. Thanks so much. Deb Johnny Roy is the deputy director of the anti-street harassment organization Hollaback. Brittany Brathwaite is a community organizer for Girls for Gender Equity. And Joe Samelin is outreach manager for the Disaster Distress Helpline and a blogger for the organization Stop Street Harassment. And that's all the time we have for today. If you want more Cityscape, you can hear past episodes in our archives at WFUV.org slash Cityscape. We're on Facebook and Twitter as WFUV Cityscape. My thanks to senior producer Veronica Volk and producer Taylor Nolk. I'm George Bodarki. Have a great weekend. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.